Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers and visitors. Uh, welcome. Welcome to our worship service for this week, where the only purpose of this time is to praise Jesus, to thank Him for what He's done, to give Him like, all the praise that we can muster and throw and like pour out to Him. It is really the only reason why we come and continually come and say, come, like join us again next week is to praise Jesus, to thank Him for um, how incredible He was and how He like did everything we needed without knowing we needed it. Um, so yeah, praise Jesus. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese, and I'm the lead pastor here at City Life, and it's my distinct honor to be here to bring us the word again. And uh, today, uh, we, I don't have an introductory story. I don't have like a metaphor. I don't have a hook. I don't have anything. My whole purpose today is to speak really plainly. My whole purpose is to speak really plainly about something that is not plain at all. Like this week, I struggled a lot to get to this point because, ah, like, there's so much to say, but how do we, like, how do I make it plain? How do I, like, this isn't a sales pitch. It's never a sales pitch, man. If, if we're relying on me to do a sales pitches, we're going nowhere. But, like, let's speak really plainly today about the story that is told about the resurrection of Jesus. And to do this, we are in our second to last week in our sermon series called Open Table. Uh, in this series, we've looked through the book of Luke. The book of Luke, more than any of the other gospel stories, is like keenly focused on telling the story about God, God himself coming down here and pursuing everyone who was forgotten, everyone who was lost and discarded, pursuing sinners, pursuing the blind, the crippled, the lame, like everyone who like thought they couldn't get to God. Like those people who, who like think that they have it all figured out, it's like, oh, like they, don't, they don't ever get into the kingdom because they don't know their loss in the first place. And Luke is the story with like, in my opinion, Luke 15 is like the heart of this gospel that like God comes to search after everyone who's lost to bring them back. God will extend every resource that he has to like bring back what's lost because it's precious to him. And today we find ourselves in our last meal in the book of Luke. Next week we're still going to be in this sermon series, but we won't be in Luke. We're going to be somewhere else. We're going to be in Revelations actually. But like this is the last table in the book of Luke. And there's no like coincidence that Luke ends his story with food in it because food has been such a vital part. Like God, Jesus has brought in the kingdom of God. He's ushered it in. He's shown and demonstrated who he is and what he cares about and what his kingdom is built on at the table. And it's no coincidence that the last scene in Luke is around eating. Like uh, eating and eating at a table in Jesus's day and in their culture was so significant. It still is like one of the most universal things today, but like, ugh, like in Jesus's culture, meeting people at the table was like a beautiful sign of God's love and involvement. And like we've said, act of generosity in this world. And so we're in our last meal in the book of Luke. This is how Luke finishes. And we have one big idea. 
I'm trying to speak plainly today. Like I'm, this isn't a gotcha sermon. This isn't a surprise at the end sermon. I'm telling you, like right now, what this whole the whole purpose of today, of this morning, of this service is, and it's this: that the bodily resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything about who you are, and how we live, and how we interact with people and the world. The bodily resurrection of Jesus isn't an add-on to the story. It's not a small feature of the story. It's not a, hey, get know this so you get 100% on the quiz part. It's not also what I like to call a nerdy nugget, like just this juicy bit of information that like makes the story richer. No, it's, it's the story. The bodily resurrection, bodily resurrection of Jesus is what makes sense of everything. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is the center point of creation and all of history. Before there was ever even anything, everything was leading towards the cross. Ephesians tells us that before the foundations of the world were set, like God made a plan to have us for him, and it like was all leading towards this cross and resurrection. The, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus gives meaning to all of Scripture, to all of his life, the life that he lived, his teachings, his cross, his death, his love for the world, his pursuit of people, and the genuineness of him being with us, the genuineness of God being Emmanuel, God with us. It's the resurrection that solidifies all of that. And today we like want the whole purpose of today is to let the uh, resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus do what it did in the first place. Like tell us that the story is done, like that God's salvation is set in stone for those who believe and for to let it like just permeate our hearts and our souls and our lives and change everything. That we are resurrection people now. One day you will die and like God can, will resurrect you from the dead. But like, oh, let's live those types of lives now. And so let's read God's word. We're going to be in Luke, I almost said Ephesians, Luke 24, the last bit, the last couple of verses. But before we do that, let me pray. Let me pray so that the Holy Spirit is with us. Let's pray in the reading of his word, because even just the reading of his word opens up hearts and minds. And so uh, let me pray. Join me in prayer, please. Lord, I thank you for this day. And Holy Spirit, I just invite you into this time. I invite you into my heart, into this room, into this apartment. Lord, into my mind, into my heart, into my mouth. Lord, I just like, uh, we just want to preach the story that you gave us. Not a story that's just like a fairy tale, but a story that actually happened and is rooted in history and like that Jesus rose from the dead and was here again in body, in his new body, in his new creation, and the new humanity, the new Adam, Lord. Like, Lord, I, I pray that the only purpose of today is to bring you honor and to teach us like, again what the resurrection means, how it changed everything. And so, Lord, um, we thank you. Please be with us. Be with the reading of your word, and then the hearing of your word, and then the implementing of your word. Lord, open a, like a, a space in our hearts to receive this this morning. 
thank you. And uh, yeah, I ask for you to be with us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So like I said, we're in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. We're going to read 36 till 49. And the uh, word of the Lord says this. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Now, normally uh, we have a little segment here where we catch up with what's going on in Luke. Remember, we're going through the whole book of Luke looking at these 10 meal scenes with Jesus. And we don't need to catch up this week because we are like picking up exactly where we left off. Last week, we looked at the road to Emmaus and we cut off right, the, like the verse before this one. And so we don't have to catch up. Like there's, there's the story just continues. And today, in like my pursuit to speak plainly, like our first point for today is that the resurrection is unavoidable. Verses 36 to 40 like teach us this lesson. It, it starts off with this, and like Jesus again starts off being like this wild man, crazy, like the, the inventor of humor. I see so much humor in this. It's like Jesus was a, a, a madman sometimes in a good way. It says, as they were talking, these are the 12, or now the 11, the 11 disciples who became the apostles. It says, while they were talking these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And I, like, to me, I just, let's just enjoy the humor in God's story sometimes. Like Jesus does the opposite of what he did to the two in Emmaus, right? There he was serving them food and they, then their eyes were opened and they saw him and he vanishes. And then here, they're just hanging out in a room, like mulling over all these things, like, wow, the women have told us now, now these two have come back, like, Jesus, is he really here? Is he really alive? And then, like, <laughs> in the John account of this, they're hiding in a room with the doors locked, right, because they're afraid. But here, we don't get that here, but here, like, Jesus all of a sudden just 
pops up into the room, and even though he says something really nice, he's like, peace to you. It's like, oh my Lord. You're like, it's, this might be the only unreasonable time in, in Jesus' gospel. That's a joke. He's not being unreasonable, but he's like, Jesus, really? You like say peace to you, but you literally just appeared out of nowhere? Like, come on, give me a second here to be a little scared. But it's just, to me, that's so funny. But Jesus appears here. He's like, why are you like, why are you troubled? What's going on? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And like, ugh, like, none of this story, part of the story, none of any part of the story. But like, please don't overlook a single word in this, in like the post-resurrection of Jesus. Here, it's like, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have here. The resurrection, the bodily resurrection, that Jesus actually came back to this world and had meat on him and was here taking up space and breathing oxygen and telling people to touch him. It makes the gospel unavoidable. Like the, the resurrection of Jesus like makes this whole story, makes the whole claim of this Bible unavoidable. This story is either real or it's not. Like it leaves no room for anyone to believe a middle ground. You cannot read this book and say, oof, like, okay, Second Chronicles I like. Okay, oof, like Isaiah, too weird, I don't like. Okay, Matthew makes sense, but Mark is a little weird. Like, no, like this whole book, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection makes this whole book unavoidable. The fact that Jesus came back, it's like, this is the moment in history. This is what everything points to, is the resurrection of Jesus. Now this whole story is unavoidable. Like Every person's responsibility in life is to look at the claims of the Bible and say, is this real or not? And everyone has the freedom to make their own decision. Like, is this book? Is this story, is this narrative that spans hundreds of authors, thousands of years, kept and guarded for us reliably, like, is it real or is it not? There's no middle ground with Jesus. He's either like a liar or the Savior. Tim Keller preached on, on Luke chapter 24. He preached on the whole chapter. And he preached, like his main idea was about Jesus' vindication in his resurrection. And he said this, and I love it, and I, don't, I can't say it better myself, so I'll read, I'll quote him and give him credit for it. It says, The resurrection was preached as a hard, bare, terribly irritating, paradigm-shattering, horribly inconvenient, but impossible to dismiss fact. The resurrection makes Christianity the most irritating religion on the face of the earth. If Jesus was raised from the dead, you're going to have to deal with everything in the Bible. It's like, like the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, that Jesus was here. And then he says, touch me. Like, Jesus came back. And he didn't come back half, or he didn't come back in spirit. He didn't, like, kind of come back. Like, he came back. And he said, touch me. Like, look, come here, like, touch me. See that I'm real. See that I'm, like, actually here. I'm not a ghost. Like, I'm really here. It's like, I, I'm actually not kind of still dead. Like, I am alive. I'm here. 
I hung on a tree and I died, but like now I'm here. See for yourself, touch me. Like, I'm not joking. I'm really here. So we have a God who like demonstrates over and over and over again that he really loves us so much that he came here. He came here for 33, 36 years is the estimate. And then he died and then he came back. And Acts tells us that he spent about six more weeks here teaching and being with people and like letting people touch him and see him and having eyewitnesses. This is an eyewitness account. The Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels are built on eyewitnesses. The people, the least likely people, Israelites, are the least likely people in the whole world to believe that a man could be God and like... At the end of this story, the least likely people to ever say that God was a man, like they cannot unsee what they saw, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, convinced the minds of so many of the least likeliest people in all of the world to say Jesus was God. Like, that's incredible. That's really, truly incredible. And like, let's think, what other God ever, what other religion claims that God is so known and wants to be so known and so discovered and so invitational. Like the reason why the gospel has never been overcome in its history, the reason why there have been countless religions who have come up against Christianity and who are not around today that we don't know who they are. Like you don't know the name Asclepius most likely unless you've heard me talk about it. Like, you don't know his name because he was one of Jesus' top rivals for a very long time, but his, like, he was not real. He did not come here. Jesus did, and like, his story is real, and it's still around to this day because there is no other God. There is no other <laughs> creator who is real and who says, like, touch me. See that I am real. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is what sets his story apart from all other, like, from all the other false claims. Well, from all the other claims that are false. Which other God says, like, know me, touch me, come, experience me. In fact, really quick, one of the earliest church, history, church heresies was something called docetism. Docetism was this idea that like Jesus was so great and he was so spirit that he never was actually here fully in body. And like he was kind of like a projection from heaven. Like he was here, he taught, but he wasn't here here. He was never bodily here. And like it became known for what it is, a heresy, an untrue, because like if Jesus didn't actually come here, then his story wouldn't be done. If he would like didn't resurrect in body and interact here, then like how could we trust that he was the Messiah, that his story was done, that his salvific plan was finished and set in stone? Like it's the bodily resurrection that makes this claim unavoidable. And that claims like that everything in life points to this. The bodily resurrection of Jesus makes the gospel claim unavoidable. Our second point for today in our story is that the resurrection means involvement. Verses 41 and 45, let's read that quickly. It says, And while they, were still while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to hear to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. 
And he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Like, uh, the gospel, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection leads and teaches us involvement. And so what do I, what do I mean by this? Like again, every single word of Jesus' post-resurrected life is meaningful and is rich in theology, like rich in informing not just what, how we think, but like how we live our lives, like the place out of where we live. And it's like the fact that Jesus ate fish here is, makes his resurrection so much more marvelous than any other way he could have done it. The bodily resurrection of Jesus changes how his followers interact with this world completely. It changes everything about how we view other people, work, how we live, how we like are genuinely here. It changes everything. Everything is claimed under the resurrection for people who follow him. Like Jesus was here and he was with his friends. He was with his followers and he like, hey, are you guys hungry? Like, do you have anything to eat? I'm kind of hungry here. And then he ate it. He was really here. He ate the food and that's like incredible. That's it. Like, I can't even get past that right now. I just keep on saying the same thing over and over again because it like makes, it reassures us so deeply that he was actually here again. That like he actually was this new creation that he actually had this new body that he promised, like that he was this new Adam and this new humanity right before our eyes, right before his disciples' eyes. Like that's also why the two at Emmaus couldn't see him at first because he was the same, yet like he was also so different because he was like the promise of everything that God has been talked about fulfilled in a man, in a body. It's like incredible. The resurrection shapes how we eat, how we treat others, how we work. What job do you have? How much of your life does it claim? Like, how do you get that promotion? Like, the resurrection speaks into all of the how. You show love and mercy and grace how you work, how you sleep, how you think, how you invite others to be in your life. Like, the resurrection teaches us that God really cared and was genuinely involved in here and so we need to be that same way. Like, so how do you say yes to the things that you say yes to? How do you say no to the things you know you should say no to? Like, how do you make your decisions? And even more importantly under that is like, what motives do you rely on? What like paradigms do you think? Because the resurrection shatters every worldly paradigm. Like the getting to know this story is what shapes how we make our decisions. Like, uh, it just encompasses every corner of who we are. As pastor, I hear a lot of stories and when I hear things that I'm like, oh, like, I don't know about that. Like, sometimes I bite my tongue in, in trying to practice wisdom, but sometimes I'm like, oh, well, like, I need to say something about what's, like, what I think is truly biblical in here. It's like, oh, like, how do we live our lives? Like, what part of this do we, like, say yes to? Or what part of this challenges us so much that we put it away? Like, I, like at times I want to say, like, yeah, hey, like, I think you need to quit that job. Or I think you need to put up boundaries because, like, it seems like you're not even like a real person right now. You're just only this job. It's like, is the money really worth it? Like, is the money the thing that you can't say no to? It's like, oh, like, you're not really living your life. You're just working all the time. 
There's nothing wrong with working really hard. Like God, if you're in the right job, it's because God has put you in there. So work really hard. It was like sometimes like, oh, like, hey man, you, like man, or like, hey lady, like you gotta stop sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. That's like not appropriate. Like I wanna say that all the time because like this word inf- informs us that that isn't like appropriate, that that isn't up to God's standard. Like, oh, like I wanna say that, but I can't, I don't know if I can always say that, but like the resurrection claims all of our lives, like every bit of it needs to be informed by the gospel. The birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus claims every corner of who you are and what you do. And it's no coincidence that in these, this last scene in the book of Luke, Jesus eats, because that's what he does. Like That's one of the main ways, the main vehicles in the book of Luke, that he brings in the kingdom. He ushers it in because like we're pretty vulnerable at the table. And in this meal, verse 45, like I talked about this last week, so I, won't, I will try to not hit it, like hit it to death, but verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. It is a, a theme now. Up until Jesus' like, death, right? He's been laying the groundwork, teaching, doing miracles, showing, demonstrating who he was, what's important to him. How, what his kingdom is built on, right? Generosity, which is what we said at, is apparent at the table. And then like his post-resurrected self, we get these two stories and there's one theme. He keeps opening up our minds or our eyes. Like he keeps bringing revelation. Jesus is the like bringer of revelation. And this revelation always involve, like also always includes how we involve with this world, right? The, the two in Emmaus, He's serving, they're kept from seeing him. And then he serves them communion. And their eyes are open and they see him and Jesus vanishes. And then here, the very next story, he goes to the 11 and it says here that he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. It's like this thing, like, that's a theme now that the resurrected Christ is just opening things left and right. When Stephen, um, in the early church in Acts, when he is facing his death, when people are literally throwing stones at him until he dies, he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that's enough to give him courage to face his death. We hear Saul, who became Paul. His conversion was that Jesus appeared to him and made him blind for three days. And on the third day, he sent someone to go pray for him. And then the explanation of what happens to him is that his eyes are open and scales fall off of it. It's like Jesus now, the post-resurrected Christ, is like opening up our hearts and our minds to see who he really is and what he's really doing. And like in 2009, God continues to do this. When in my own testimony, when I finally gave Jesus all of my life, every corner of my being, when like I finally gave scripture a chance to change my heart, the one thing that I kept on telling people, I wrote it in my journal and I still believe it to this day, like the one thing that I kept on going back to that I could not explain was that I felt like my eyes were opened. Like I literally said this, I felt like my eyes were opened and I was seeing in color for the first time. That like everything up until that point in my life, well, it was in black and white. And now like when I finally met Jesus, I could actually see the world in color. And like continues to do that to this day because our God like is genuine and was here in body because he cared and was powerful enough 
to be raised from the dead and actually be back here. Like no one else can do that. And even no one else in the Gospels who was brought back from the dead stayed alive like Christ. Everyone else like died again one day to be resurrected when the resurrection comes. And so the resurrection is about involvement in this world because God was genuinely here. He genuinely cares. And every time the gospel message is shared in, like after Jesus' resurrection, it is like whoever receives it shares it immediately. The gospel, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection is about involvement in this world. And then our last point for, the day, for today, the thing that like, the resurrection teaches us is that the resurrection preaches repentance and forgiveness. Verses 46 to 49 say this, And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in, the name of all na- in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witness of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The resurrection, the bodily resurrection, preaches two things. Repentance and forgiveness. This is the point that I want to speak most plainly about. um, Because I would just really want to be clear. And because this is a topic that naturally people don't want to hear is that the bodily resurrection of Jesus teaches us that his message, like that his message, the outcome of the resurrection, is repent and we'll find forgiveness. Like repentance is this, like the most basic way that I could, the picture of repentance is this, I'm walking this way, and I realize I'm going in the wrong direction. Repentance is turning and going in the opposite direction. Is turning my back on where I wanted to go or where I was going to go in the exact opposite direction. And spiritually what this means is like, oh, like when God convicts us of our sin, that's the Holy Spirit's job. When He shows us that we're doing something wrong, which nobody wants to hear, which is unpopular message for the world, that we sin, and that the things that we do aren't always okay, and that we, in our nature, are not divine, we're not whole, we're not even that good. And repentance is like, oh, like, I'm sinning. Repentance is, okay, I've learned a bit of God's standard, and I'm not doing it the right way. And now I want to go in the right direction. Like, I might not know where that right direction is right now, but I know it's not where I'm headed, so I need to turn around. And the bodily resurrection says, you know what, once you do that, it's been finished that we now have a way towards forgiveness. And forgiveness, according to Scripture, is that like our sins have been paid for. That we can have right standing with the Lord, with the Father. That like we can be forgiven of the things that we did wrong once we acknowledge that we did it and say, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going in the opposite direction. Forgiveness is right relationship with the Father because He paved a way for that to be possible. It's that I have eternal life with Him now, like that He promises eternal life with me in His kingdom. 
that he promises me salvation from, from what sin brings, which is death. I raise the Passover lamb. And that, like, forgiveness is also the end of oppression. Oppression from myself, from others, from Satan and his lies, and, like, from hurting myself, from damaging my soul. And so, like, why wouldn't we want that message from a God, from a man who was also God, who died for us, who loved us, and then who was genuinely here with us. Proved his power, proved his worth, proved that he was sinless and spotless, and then came back for us and says, you know what? If you belong to me, you go and spread my gospel. My gospel message is repent because you've been forgiven. Repent and find your forgiveness. That's a beautiful message. That's a message that no one who knows that they're lost will reject. That's a, like a message that broken people gravitate to. Because it, like, deep down inside, we all know there's something wrong here. I'm a repentance is hard. But the bodily resurrection shows us that repentance and forgiveness are offered. And that is solidified. That is finished. That Jesus said it was finished on the cross. And then in his resurrected body, he demonstrated that we can find forgiveness. That he's strong enough and powerful enough to defeat even our worst enemy, death. Come back here and say, like, yeah, you can find repentance and forgiveness. And it'll change your eternity. And so let's conclude this a little bit. The only real part of this passage that I haven't touched on yet is the last verse. And that's where I, will, I want to conclude. This is where I think we want to conclude Luke. Right? The last time we look at Luke right now. It says this, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The last thing that Jesus tells them, like in the book of Luke, the last words he gives to them, the last words that are recorded, that like are a part of this narrative, is, wait, I'm giving you, I'm sending you the promise of the Father and this power from on high. I'm gonna, we know that. Pentecost, they wait in the city and the Holy Spirit comes and changes radically all of the disciples, like the, forgive me, the like dumb, foolish disciples become these incredible, not perfect, but incredible witness of the resurrection. Like they change night and day. They're completely different people. Like with the Holy Spirit, they are like incredible and they start doing the things that Jesus himself did, right? They're, they will never be Christ, but that wasn't even the goal. But like these men who usually like were missing the point all the time change and they're different. And it's the Holy Spirit like that Jesus promises here in verse 49. Like, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for this power from the Lord. Because let me tell you something. If you're a believer or if you're not a believer, if you're a Christian or not a Christian, like this life cannot be done by you. No amount of willpower will ever transform you into Christ. Like you, we will never be good enough. We will never be good enough. We will never earn the gospel. We never earn the salvation, this forgiveness that we're given. There's like the Holy Spirit that, has, that comes and changes us and 
fuels this like change in us that we like can't even explain like Paul is like, man, I don't even know how this happened, but I like he cha- I'm different. He changed me. And so like my greatest prayer for you today is like the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus changes everything and it paves the way for repentance and forgiveness, genuine like forgiveness that changes you. And then like this promise of the Holy Spirit to come and live with you, to change everything about you, to give you this power that does not come from within, but comes like from deep connection with God himself in you. And like, it seems so crazy to think about that God would want to live in you, like be that close to you, but that's his promise. That is what he promises. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples and read that story. It's incredible. Everything changes. Like all of human history, once the Holy Spirit comes into humanity, changes. Uh, There's a reason, there's a power to why the church, for as flawed as it is, for as messy as we are, there's a reason why nothing has ever overtaken the, the church. It's the Holy Spirit. God sanctifying us and making us more like Him. Getting us ready to which, what we'll talk about next week, the marriage supper between the Lamb and the church. And so I, I just want to finish today, and this is funny, I'm doing it online, I'm doing it on the camera, um, but I want to, like, I just want to tell you, like, that whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a Christian or not, pray all the time to have the Holy Spirit. Welcome Him into your life every day. He's there, right? But welcome His presence to like come and inform you and change you. If you are not a Christian and you like learning more about Christ and if you're getting curious, like, like talk to us, reach out, let's get connected. We'll talk to you about like what the Holy Spirit does and how he just changes everything about who you are and, and what you do. And like, but let's like pray and invite the Holy Spirit. That's a prayer that like he all, always say yes to. Believers, like Christians, Invite the Holy Spirit into your life every morning. Like, He's there. He lives in you. But invite His, like, special presence to speak to you all the time. And so I want to pray for that. I want to pray for a filling of a renewing of the Holy Spirit in your life. But, like, there's no magic. There's no formula in what I'm about to do. It's only special if you take this and do it for yourself. If you remind yourself daily, like, Holy Spirit, I need you. Like, speak to me. Give Him permission to, like, change you and inform you. Open up your eyes, open up your minds, whatever he needs to do. And so let me pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you again for this day, and I thank you for your resurrection, your bodily resurrection, Lord, and what it means. And now I just like want to pray. I want to finish off where you finished off, talking about the Holy Spirit, Lord. And so we just invite the Holy Spirit. Like For anyone who agrees with this, who hears this and affirms this, Lord, I pray that you would fill us, refresh us, Speak to us. Open our eyes. Open our minds. Open our hearts. Like, just like inundate us with your presence. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives, into our hearts to change us, to like utterly remodel everything about us, to like help us live out of your resurrection power. You are the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, and we get that promise to us. And so, like, Lord, change us and be with us. Make yourself known, like, I can't touch Jesus right now, but Lord, Lord, you can live in me and help me and empower me and just do your work. 
And so, Lord, for everyone who agrees and prays that prayer, Lord, I just pray that you would fulfill them. Make yourself known to them this week. And teach us to pray in every circumstance. Holy Spirit, I invite you here. And so, Lord, I pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen, church. So pray that prayer this week. Say, like literally just say, say it out loud. Holy Spirit, I invite you here right now. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Those are prayers that are always answered. So church, we love you. Uh, connect with us. Email me, preese at citylifeinj.com with any questions. Uh, wanting to connect, let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's go get to know each other. Let's walk, let's journey. Let's get to know Jesus and what he did more. We have our MCs this week, Monday and thir- uh, well, Monday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. And then uh, we'll also be back here next week. And um, oh, don't forget, later today at 3 o'clock, there's the follow-up meeting to our family meeting. If you want to join there, the link will be on our website. The top page is gonna, it's called like City Life Sunday Service. Click there, and there will be a button at the top of the screen with the link, 3 o'clock. And uh, I won't see you there, but somebody will see you there. And so, yeah, we love you. See you soon.